You'll know when you have a wild woman. She'll practice her craft without boundaries. She is truly autonomous. Her loyalty is only to the family she serves, a midwife who will not allow herself to be held back by a system she didn't create. This podcast is for the birth keepers who want to grow and change. We're open to learning through self-reflection and supportive community. We are creating this space to explore without judgment. We are remembering we were born wild. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Born Wild podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sophia. Um, And today I have with me Alicia um, from Birth Cultivated. And I'm excited to hear what she has to say on her Instagram. I saw her talking about the lie-in period. And that is a topic we haven't talked too much about. So we'll see where else the conversation leads us. But Alicia, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi. Thanks so much for having me, Sophia. I am just so stoked to be here. I love any time that we get to connect any birth worker with birth worker. Uh, So a little bit about me. I have been sitting with women for 10 years, and that looks like sitting in birth, sitting prenatally um, in postpartum. And then when I had taken a break from birth for about a year, I was still sitting with women talking about periods and their menstrual cycles and just, and just all the things that, and this was in college. So it was, that's the, that's the kind of <laughs> the life season we were in. So it was all menstrual things. Um, but that was still, I still came in with so much knowledge, just hearing stories. Um, and then I picked back up after the year break and continued apprenticing with a local home birth midwife to me. And that was, I cherished my experience with her. She taught me so much, just hands-on and getting to sit with her women and just learning that really sacred space mm-hmm. was like nothing else. So um, that was about eight years. And then I attended midwifery school, graduated from midwifery school last November Mm. and um had my daughter last November so that was a whirlwind of start midwifery school get through it go through it and then I've got like 40 weeks left that I found and I'm pregnant I'm like oh boy (laughs) here we go so crammed through the last bit and we made it I had like I think like two weeks to spare so it was great it worked out just great it's so much easier to do before you have baby. <laughs> oh, totally. Totally it was. And she wasn't planned. So it was like, well, the Lord just, he had this all very perfectly planned out and it's been great. <laughs> um, so um, she was an unassisted pregnancy and an unassisted birth. Mm-hmm. And um, I was attended and witnessed by my mom and my husband. And that was just the most precious thing. Mm-hmm. I had a birth photographer there who was um, a sweet friend of mine. And so I had known, I said, definitely not inviting a stranger in. She was an old client. And so it was like, okay, if anyone's going to see me naked, it's got to be someone that I've seen naked. So that way <laughs> there's like no weird mentalness there. <laughs> it's fine. I didn't even know she was there. Oh, beautiful. Um, well, let's, let's go back a little bit. Cause I want to know, okay. cause okay. how long ago was your daughter born? She's 10 months tomorrow. 10 months. So let's go back the 10 years or like yeah. what 
When did you start being interested in the birth world in general? So my youngest sister was born at home with the midwife I apprenticed with. Um, And so, yeah, really cool. And so um, throughout my mom's pregnancy, I was there for all the prenatals, there for the birth, really got to witness her postpartum. Um, and, and I was younger with my sister before her. So I had hardly any memory of the hospital birth and just was not involved in that at all. So then when I got to see this experience and the contrast of a home birth compared to what you're shown from Hollywood was so different, so radically different. And so I said to my mom after her birth, I said, I really love this. I want to do more with this. And so um, we contacted the midwife. How old were you? I was 13 when my sister was born and then started apprenticing when I was 14. Wow. So we contacted her and we said, um, I know I'm so young, but is there anything? I just really want to get into it. So it was like, do you have books or pot and podcasts weren't really big back then, but anything like courses, <laughs> something I can do. I was not expecting her to take me on as an apprentice, mm-hmm. but it was like, I just need to get into this. I love it so much. And she said, okay, well, let's do it. I've, um, I've got a current student. And then she was kind of in the way of phasing out into another apprenticeship because it's helpful to jump around. Right. Right. And so um, she says, I've got the clientele. I've got the availability for you. And I came in totally green. Like, what's the blood pressure? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> like, nothing. And so she trained me ground up. And um, it was like, a lot of it was hands-on learning. But then I took like a Bradley childbirthing course to, mm-hmm. and that was something that she recommended frequently to clients. So I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to be talking about it and getting familiar with it, I should be familiar with it. So I took that course. That was really great. Got, um, I made a really great connection with the lady who was teaching. And to this day, we're still friends and still collaborate on some things. Um, and then just the normal CPR, NRP kind of things I took. But it was all self-study in the books. Whatever came up prenatally, I would go home and study and find it for myself. And then that's, that's just how it was. So then it came, we had done that for eight years and I was like, okay, I'm feeling really good. Like I've got tons of knowledge. I'm feeling competent, but I knew there was more I was missing. I knew there was gaps in my knowledge because birth is just so normal. You don't see everything. You don't come across I have a question, uh, detail. Did she, she kept you on for eight years. Were you her only student or did you get to see other students come in or how? Mm -mm, I was her only student. Only student. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes there would be other women coming in and they would like, they were throwing around the idea of midwifery. So they would attend a couple um, prenatals here and there, or they would come be like an assistant for a birth, but I was her primary student Mm -hmm. the whole time which was really great. <laughs> I loved the attention and it, we formed a really cool relationship. Yeah, I bet. Um, yeah. So eight years, I felt like I had gaps and I said, I feel like I'm ready to go serving women, how they're calling me to, but I know I have gaps to be able to provide them with full knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so, um, 
I found a midwifery school that fit my needs really well and um, graduated from that, like I said, last November. And then here we are in January, so the beginning of 2023, I opened my- Were you um, happy with that schooling? Super happy. Yeah, what school was really, it? was Indie Birth Midwifery School. I was really happy with um, their, like, they brought together so many minds collectively to give you your information. And it was exactly what I, what I needed. I loved it. Because I wasn't getting as much as I needed from births with them being so normal and with prenatals <laughs> just being straight normal. <laughs> and then um, I realized there was like, um, like rabbit trails I wouldn't have known to go down to continue expounding my knowledge. Like, um, like truly going into depth about the hormonal matrix that is labor and birth or, you know, whatever, just things I was on really surface level education because I didn't know how deep everything could have gone. Um, so I really liked having a curriculum and having, having someone to walk it through. <laughs> I really needed that. And I enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah. Um, so then the beginning of this year, I opened my private, um, my private ministry and I'm not a midwife. I don't claim the title midwife. Um, I serve women much deeper than that. I feel like, um, and all the midwifery knowledge and experience that I've gained has really given me a step up to educate my private members, to um, give them full information so they can make their decisions in whatever decision that looks like, um, but then just be able to walk that with them and and whatever they're asking for, to say, yeah, let's do it. Let's walk that together. And um, it's really cool watching them be the sole authority in their pregnancy yeah. and just seeing how that plays out has been really special. Can um, you speak more to about the home birth ministry? Because I know there are a lot of people who yeah. are either considering birth work or student midwives right now mm -hmm. or are licensed midwives contemplating if they want to keep their license you know could you yeah, talk a little right. bit about like why you chose the school you did and you know the choice to not be licensed and mm -hmm. you know just that like that process for you and the type of keeper yeah. you want to be and why you're not going certain directions yeah so throughout um my apprenticeship and then through the couple births that I got to assist in or um it was only like a handful of prenatals that I got to just shadow other midwives in. So I got like a little bit of dabbling in how other midwives operated. And I say other as in like compared to my main apprenticeship. Yeah, was well, um, a licensed midwife or no? Yes. Yeah, she was. Um, and so I got a dabbling of, of a couple of, of midwives and how they, their protocols and, and just how they serve women. Um, and throughout those eight years, I had seen women turned away for being, for the babies being breached, turned away for, um, being 42 weeks or just, um, you're sitting in the office and, you know, they're 41 and five and they come in in tears and it, and it, it's almost like, sorry, there's nothing we can do for you. I know this isn't anything you can help. And it was just gut wrenching to see these midwives who didn't want to follow these rules 
but they were put under these rules. And so it was really hard to watch their internal battle, watch the women's battles, and just kind of like how it was always her body at fault when there was no one at fault here. <laughs> it, it was just really hard to watch that kind of time and time again. And it was like, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. Um, when I started apprenticeship, California had the the path of you apprentice for five years and you can sit and challenge the board and you can get licensed. And so that was my original plan. And I was about three years in and the laws changed. We had to go to an accredited school and then you could go and test. Um, and so I said, well, that's not, <laughs> I don't want to do that <laughs> because none of the schools really aligned with what I wanted. And so, and I just couldn't find anything that was fitting. So I said, you know what, we're just gonna, we're just gonna keep trekking and something will come along and it'll be fine. It'll work out. And so I kept going and never had formal schooling in mind because I just didn't know what to do. Um, and I didn't know where the future was going to take me. So I said, we're just going to keep serving them and, and it's going to look the way it looks and whatever. And, and then Indie Birth came, somehow they came across my, my sphere and, and I really fell in love with, um, what they say is that they, they balance the sacred and the science. And so I really wanted, for example, um, knowledge on herbs for postpartum hemorrhage, but I also wanted the knowledge of Pitocin. What if I wanted to, and did carry both? I wanted the knowledge on both of them. Um, and so I chose them because they had that really great balance of, we're going to teach you this natural side, but at the same time, we're going to have OBs come in and we're going to have them teach you this side, or we're going to go really extensively into lab work. Those kind of like sciencey types that don't click super well in my brain. And that weren't a huge emphasis in my learning. They were done. They just weren't a huge emphasis. And so it was kind of lacking in my brain, like, okay, definitely have gaps there. Um, so finished with them and felt like that felt really solid because it was just building on the foundation that I had from all the years prior. It's like, oh, I so remember, you know, X, Y, Z happening and this is how we handled this. Or, um, this woman came in with this thing and then this thing was suggested and, oh, well now I know, you know, this and this could have been suggested or whatever. Yeah. So many scenarios that it was like, oh, there was just a lot I was missing. Um. So really loved, really loved my education with them. And um, the way they teach you is they're not, um, you must license. They're not, you could never license. They're, they're pretty even keeled, I found. Um, some of the girls I was going to school with, um, some of them went on to choose licensure and some of them went on to not. And so it was like, you were pretty well-rounded whatever you, with the education it well-rounded you to choose whatever you wanted to um and and I knew I didn't want to license for all the reasons I said and I just most of it was I just couldn't turn women away for things that weren't their fault um and I just had to be true to myself I know there are absolutely midwives who are out there who will say like um it was an accidental breach. We just didn't know. And then they fudged the paperwork or, you know, whatever. There's so many things that can happen. Um, and it just didn't feel right to me to be lying about it and not saying that oh, that's not right for anybody to be doing. That's not my business, but for how I wanted to serve women, I wanted to serve them just 
whole lot in the open. Um, and that's just, it's been really good. It's felt really good to my heart. And obviously there was going to be some fear serving the way I serve. And there was also going to be fear serving if I was licensed. So it was going to be like, because you would be fudging the paperwork. And exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it was like, if I license, I'd be saying here, here's the first nail in my coffin. Cause there's no way in heck I'm going to follow these rules. So it was just like, yeah, <laughs> which one do I choose? Mm-hmm. And I went back and forth for a really long time. And even to this day, there are times where it's like, I should just get licensed. I should pay the money to go do the, you know, um, I don't think California peps anymore. Whatever it is, I don't follow it anymore. But what part of licensure is the carrot for you that like tempts you on occasion? Like what piece, if you could have it, would you want from the licensure? Community. It's definitely the sisterhood. And I know that it's not, it's not all sunshine and roses, the community of birth work, even on this side, it's not, (laughs) but it's just, it's, um, the title of midwife, you feel good holding it. Mm -hmm. You can say I'm a midwife and everyone knows what that means. But at the same time, I'm also coming to find that there was a lot of ego sitting behind that for me why do I want to climb midwife? Why? Like, what does that mean truly in my heart? Would that change like subconsciously how I serve? Would it, would it like, um, would it tempt me to serve less boldly to, to make sure these women aren't solo? Or like right now I've got a lot of bases to cover but they're good bases. They're bases that make sure these women know fully what they're doing and they're totally in charge and and they are aware of it. And these women that come to me are like, we're going to home birth without you, but we would love to have your support. And that's the kind of people I want to be serving. And so it just like really niched me down and really put me where I want to be. Um, so then the families I serve, they'll see my paperwork like, so I'll send them a pre-consult form and it'll lay out my experience and who I am and what to expect and what I don't do and what I'm expecting from them. And in there, it's like, expect a lot of homework. This is a lot of work. Um, I won't work with families who have been jabbed and I, and it's, I just have these really specific things. But it makes it really sweet because in the families that do choose me and I choose them back, we're so aligned. These are like, these are my sisters and it is so soul fulfilling. Oh man, it's so great compared to what I've seen from friends and what I've seen with clients is sometimes people hire midwives because they're in network with their insurance or oh, you're the one in the valley that was, you know, most recommended. Maybe I don't totally align with you, but you're most recommended, so why not? Right. And you just take people for the money. And the money aspect of this was the lowest on my totem pole. If it weren't for my husband, I would be doing this for free. (laughs) Stop. Stop going to appointments for free. You can't be doing that. But if it weren't Um, for your husband, you probably wouldn't be able to do it for free. (laughs) <laughs> oh, exactly. Exactly. So it's like, it's, okay, I'll listen to him. <laughs> so it's just a balance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I was actually just talking to my children about that topic because they were like, why do you like being a midwife? And I was like, I wanted to pick something that I enjoyed going to work in air quotes every day that I just Mm -hmm. like, it filled me and I got excited. And and that my hope for them is that they find something that gets them excited every day. Yeah. Right. And if you're going to do such a hard work that is midwifery, that is with walking with women, well, you better enjoy it. (laughs) It's not easy. It takes so much from you. And the community that that you maybe feel you're lacking, is it because there's just not a lot of women supporting families the way you're supporting? Or is there this feeling of needing to be quiet about what you do? Or... Where, where are you mm. at? Like what, what is holding you back from community or are you like yeah. ostracized from licensed midwife community? Like they don't see you as equal or part of their community. You know, I don't, I don't, um, talk with them a bunch about what I do. I feel like I still need to keep it quiet and keep it hidden. Um, and there, there are a handful in my Valley that I'm pretty sure know what I'm doing. I know the more or less the extent of how I serve. Um, and it's, it's, I more fear, um, it's the people pleaser in me, right? I more fear what they think or if they'll turn me in kind of a thing. Um, so yeah, I am still in the phase of, Let's kind of keep quiet about it. And I mean, I have a website. I'm out there. I call myself a traditional birth attendant. Um, Just because California is so funny with my wife. I won't touch it. <laughs> yeah, I said, like there are things that, you know, you say what you do do and what you don't do. Mm-hmm. There are certain things on your I don't do list that are particular mm-hmm. for you. Yeah, I don't carry medication. That's about my, that's my number one. I don't carry medication for anything. Um, and like in my wording for paperwork, um, when you, when you hire me in quotes, you are, um, your payment is a donation to my ministry. Mm-hmm. So you're not donating in exchange for a good or a service. You're donating just because you love me and you love how I serve. <laughs> um, and that was something kind of tricky to come up to, to figure out wording for it and no one's questioned it. But um, so protective would be wording, wording that I use. And then I drew the line at medication because in California you have um, midwife practicing midwifery without a license is practicing medicine without a license. Um and so that's one side of it. But then it was like, okay, if I'm going to carry medication, that feels like seven times worse. And I don't even want to touch that. <laughs> so medication was a hard line that I drew. Does indie birth, is this like part of the curriculum is like uh-uh. how to navigate this? Because I know they have like PMA or PHA um, course that they, you know, will help people create. Um, to give them these, you know, freedoms and protections. So I wasn't sure if that was like a part of it. They have a really short section on it. Okay. Um, And so I chose them. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They, I chose part of the, part of the reason I chose them was because these midwives were also unlicensed. And so I knew when I was 
you know, considering them, I knew that that was a possibility for me. And so I said, oh, they're going to have the lingo. They're going to, they're going to be doing it already. Let's go with them. Um, so that was part of why I chose them. And then when it came time for that business class, um, I, I'm sure there was more than this, but from all I can remember, there was one like hour long type of a Q&A recorded Zoom, but I'm sure there was more. There had to have been more. My memory is so spotty. Yeah, so well, spotty. and when you said it, maybe there could be more now, you know? Totally, right. So um, I then went on to talk with um, just a couple different PMA advisors and figure out who really fit me best. And so I went with this gal in, in Texas who... Um, she's an unlicensed chiropractor in a state that quote unquote requires licensure for practicing chiropractics. Um, and she writes the PMA paperwork. And so I said, Oh, I really love that. She's in the same boat as me yeah. and she's in the health sphere. So instead of choosing someone who writes paperwork for, um, in-home preschools, mm-hmm. I wanted someone who wrote paperwork for kind of a health sphere and and I knew we were going to be along the same lines and it was going to be really easy to to navigate that with her um so chose her she wrote my paperwork up really great experience with her and since then she's gone on to write paperwork for a handful of other midwives that I've sent to her which is really cool um and they've all got their own ministries another gal local to me has a ministry yeah, I know of a gal in Montana. And so it's just been a cool, you you do end up finding your community. It's not like I'm ostracized from everybody. <laughs> um, We're friendly. I do want to talk about the lion period. I feel like I'm lying to people if I don't, if we don't go there, but I, <laughs> we'll it. get there. Yeah. I want to hear about like your choice in having, you said unassisted pregnancy, some call wild pregnancy, mm-hmm. um, unassisted you know, our free birth, um, versus having a licensed midwife or even a birth attendant, radical birth keeper, mm-hmm. whatever you call it. Can you walk us through like your choice around, um, around those? Yeah. So it wasn't anything against licensed midwives. We have amazing ones in my, in my area. Um, so it definitely wasn't anything against them. It was, um, in the beginning of my pregnancy, my husband was working to get into the military and, and so it was, he was working to get into the military. He got accepted, find out I'm pregnant. And then he goes off to boot camp. So then it was going to be, okay, well, by the time he's at a boot camp, he's going to be in a school out in South Carolina. And so I didn't want to get attached to anyone here. And I said, I'm just going to do all my own prenatal work until we move. And then we'll find someone out there. And that was how it started was I did intend to have a midwife with me. What um, did your prenatal care look like? When you it say turned out to be work? nothing. <laughs> I was going to say, but like when you said prenatal work, I wasn't sure. Well, because I had really great intentions in the beginning and then <laughs> they all fell through. I think I ended up doing my blood pressure three times. Uh-huh. Um, And that was just because end stage pregnancy I got some really crazy swelling which come to find out is normal in some women and so it was just like I was making sure all my boxes were checked and I wasn't being naive and missing something um so I did my blood pressure like three times and um 
every every trimester that came I was like I'm gonna do blood work I'm gonna do blood work <laughs> and I just kept chickening out and I never did blood work <laughs> <laughs> and so I mean like the nerdy part of me really wanted to see my own blood work and yeah. before I was pre- pregnant I was thinking you know what I'm gonna get on Medi-Cal and I'm gonna go see an OB and I'm gonna tell him what's what and I'm gonna see what these women are experiencing and that way I can really relate to them when they come to me and then it came time. I was like, I couldn't be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows? Next pregnancy, who knows? <laughs> um, so it, yeah, when my husband was here before he left for boot camp, um, I really wanted him to get the experience of me, of being in a prenatal with a midwife and getting to know somebody and just like, cause I'll tell him about it and I'll, I can explain it to him and take photos, but it, there's just something about sitting in a prenatal with a wise woman that you just have to experience. And so, um, I contacted one of our local midwives and she was busy. She, I think she was, it was off call. She went on vacation. That's what it was. She had a pre-planned vacation for November for when I was due. And so she was not in the equation to be able to attend me. And she was my first choice. And so, um, and so she would do like a la carte prenatal care with us. And so I said, okay, well, my husband's leaving this week. Let's schedule one for this week. We had done an ultrasound because I wanted to find out gender. I wanted to know where my placenta was and I wanted photos. And so I contacted a local boutique to us and I said, um, I literally want a 10 minute ultrasound. I want this, this, and this, and that's it what are you going to charge me for that? And so we went in, did the 10 minutes, found out gender, kept that a secret from everybody except for my parents for the whole pregnancy. There was maybe two or three friends sprinkled in there that we had told, but the majority of everyone, no one knew. Um, And so that was fun. And so we did the ultrasound and then we had um, one prenatal, the two of us with my, with that midwife. And that was really great. We listened to baby and just kind of talked about fears and just plans. And and it was just a really, and I wanted just like some sister time just to sit with someone. Um, and so that was really great. And we sat in her office and we had tea and we just chatted and it was like an hour long and it was so nice. It was really great. And then my husband left the following day for boot camp and he was there for a month because his religious exemptions got denied. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So, and he went in there with religious exemptions in his file, and they said, no, we're not doing those. You got screwed. Go home. So, um, he felt very called from the Lord to say, nope, I'm going home. This is, it's not worth it for me to stick around um, because it was being mandated. The newest jab was being mandated. And so it was like, okay. Is that, you know, is it worth it to follow through with that for the potential dangers, right? That it might cause to you or to our family. And he just had abundant peace in saying, nope, not worth it. Go home. So he was there for about five weeks, came home, which then we didn't end up moving to South Carolina because we didn't have to. Mm -hmm. So the intentions of me having to go look for a midwife in South Carolina never happened. Never followed through with those intentions. <laughs> um, and we stayed home and I kept like mulling over the different midwives in our area. 
and it just felt really good and I had so much peace in my heart to keep it really in just the intimacy of my mom and my husband um and by that point I think I was already like in my second trimester and so yeah I was I was well into my second trimester and I'd foregone all the lab work all the clinical things and so I was already really working on my intuition and just honing that for myself and I and my husband said to me why don't we just do it ourselves and and that was like what sparked it I was like oh you know what that feels good we can do that and not that that I didn't know that that wasn't the possibility it was just like no that feels good for me let's do that so um it was great we loved it it was a 48 hour labor five hours of fetal ejection reflex which was gnarly oh man but it gives me so much to relate to with clients now so (laughs) you know there's blessings it's okay (laughs) yeah Yeah. and then I was visited um oh I think when my husband was in boot camp I did do another prenatal with her and that was again just another sister connection and that was really good Mm -hmm. um and she ended up visiting me postpartum and she brought me food and she set us my baby and up my baby and I, she set us up for an herbal bath and listened to my story and just sat with me. And it was a really precious, really sweet memory of that. Um, yeah, so it, it was, I have no regrets. It was beautiful and wonderful. And there's no um, radical birth keepers. There's no other traditional birth attendants near me. So it was licensed midwife, doula, or bust or you know or ourselves or bust (laughs) and so we chose ourselves well since you were just talking about your postpartum um I'd love for you to share about maybe how you set yourself up postpartum or maybe how you like the things you loved or how you wish you had done it and what your advice is for families um because I do want to talk about that like lay-in period um and I wanted to talk about like ice versus heat and yeah all that how to set yourself up for success. Um, yeah. Okay. So I, when I went searching, like, okay, how to plan for postpartum, what do I need for a successful postpartum? And everything I found was buy this postpartum kit that was, and you, you guys all probably know what it is. Um, but I won't, I won't call the brand out, (laughs) but it was like, um, the ice, the, like those, those crack ice pads. And it was basically tux pads and it was just all these chilling things. And it was more or less just like how to numb and disassociate from your postpartum, from all the sensations you're feeling. And so I knew there had to be more. (laughs) So I kept hunting and I kept searching and, um, I had the first 40 days book loved that poured myself over that just a beautiful it's artwork in every way in her words in her recipes and in in just the pictures that she has I love it love the book um so I poured myself over that and I really loved the traditionality of that how she brought culture into that it was just beautiful to me um and uh there's a gal in Los Angeles so she was like two and a half to three hours from me and she offers a six-week closing ceremony, so a serada, where she comes and 
she'll set you up for um, like a Temescal esteem bath where you'll just detox and you'll sweat and um, she'll give you a full body massage. And what else does she do? She um, closes your bones using the rebosos and does just this beautiful ceremony for that. And she had just the most heartwarming drum ever that she, so once you were all bundled up, she would just kind of walk around the room playing on her drum and it was just the oh it was the best thing and uh what else did she do um that was that was about it it was it was like a three hour long session so when I say that was it it was a three hour long session of just total love and total warmth and it was amazing so um at the end of my six weeks she came to me but let me let me go backwards because I just I just now skipped six weeks <laughs> um, <laughs> I get ahead of myself. Let's start at the closing. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll start. We'll start at the beginning. How about um so baby came, immediately went to my bed. I really didn't leave my bed for the first two or three weeks. And that was amazing. Um it's hard because that's probably the most common thing we hear, like the restless. Yeah, right. I um, I really wasn't super restless. I loved laying in bed and just staring at my baby, just ogling my baby all day long. I loved it. Um, and obviously like you'd put a show on, you put a movie on and I really got into urbexing, like watching people urbex, which not everyone knows what that is, but it's just like people like GoPro videotape themselves. Um, going through like abandoned buildings and like old historical buildings and you get to see, like the really cool tile work or like this is an abandoned you know psych hospital it's just really cool for some stupid reason I really got into those so I would just sit in my rocking chair with my baby (laughs) watching those it was great um and I had really great support of my mom and my sisters and my husband when he had paternity leave and so it was like they supplied me with food and they would take my dishes and clean my dishes and um my husband would wake up with me in the middle of the night and not that like I mean there's not a ton he can do but he was there for moral support and when he could help he could help um and it was it was great so I was super focused on staying in bed because I couldn't find really anything else on what I needed on what to prep people were get the box um do warm foods and that was about the extent of it of what I could find online. And so that's what I followed. I had those two core things, stay in bed and stay warm. And that's what I did. Um, I really tried to focus on warming foods. And that's something that I'll tell women to this day, warm foods. So anything fresh, like fresh vegetables, salad, smoothies, um, those kind of things are going to slow down your healing, your body, (laughs) just went through this like really incredible transition of all this hard work and you've got the blood that you released, the placenta you released, the baby you had, the water you lost. You've got this huge just hole in your belly, basic. I mean, you're empty in there. And so you've got all this air. And if you go back to Asian cultures and Indian cultures, they'll say you've got this air um, and certain foods will 
exacerbate that air and make it worse and make you really uncomfortable and your bleeding gets worse and your cramping is worse and your blood your milk supply is suffering and so it was like okay well if it's that simple to just follow the warmth of warm soft foods easily digested foods like rice porridge um soft stewed meats stewed vegetables stew your fruits like literally nothing touches your mouth colder than room temperature (laughs) um I am a huge fan of raw milk and so I would have a quart of raw milk a day at least and I would always have someone warm it up on the stove so I would say okay warm me up a glass of raw milk and they would um put like some maple syrup in there and then a scoop of collagen so that way You've got the fructose balancing with the fat, balancing with the protein from the collagen. And it was a really well-rounded snack or like before bed, kind of a nightcap. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was super easy for me to ask people to go do. And when I was prepping, I, um, when I was prepping for postpartum, what I would do is I took all the recipes and like foods that I really loved and I, I wrote them all down. I said, here's a bunch of recipes so I know you know how to use this. And I had prepped to have those ingredients in the house. And I chose ones that were really easy. And or like. Need a manual rough. for partners, you know, postpartum. You yeah, know. right. <laughs> and that's what I said. I said, there's got to be more, right? Why isn't there more on this? A lot and of so- the, like, yeah, the, a lot of the uh, mental load fall, still falls back on you to like mm-hmm. give instructions of the type of care right. you need. Yeah. Right. So then to say, okay, it's been, you know, I mean, you could totally just say, okay, feed me every two hours, but then they're like, that's a lot of feeding. What am I going to feed you every two hours? <laughs> and they're writing it with you, but they're not in your body feeling that constant stress and stress isn't just, oh, I had a hard day at work stress. Your body is under constant stress of making milk, healing your wounds, slowing your bleeding. You're running on way less sleep. Your mental load is much heavier. You're trying to figure out this stinking baby that you're now just home with and you don't know what to do with. So it's just like, (laughs) there's so much. And yeah, there's just a really hard, it's a, it's a large mental load. So then I made lists and I made recipes and I had them all out there and I said, okay, can you go make me this? Or can you start me another pot of kanji? Um, I had kanji every single day for the first eight weeks. And kanji is just like a sweet spiced rice porridge. Um, and it's, it comes from like an Ayurvedic perspective, um, which is kind of Indian healing. Um, but it's got ghee, so it's super fatty and oily and it's great for your breast milk. And it's got these super warming spices like cinnamon and clove and nutmeg. Um, kind of like you think of a chai spice, like you think of a chai spice drink, those kind of warming spices. And all those kind of ones are in that book, The First 40 Days. Uh, I don't think she has a spiced kanji. In there, she has more savory kanjis where it's mostly just like um, this. It, it's it's a ratio of one cup of water to eight cups of rice. Nope, opposite. <laughs> <laughs> one rice, eight water. So you're like, there's no way this is going to work out and be like 
<laughs> edible, but it is. It turns into this really great gelatinous, super soft porridge. And that's exactly what your body needs. So I focus on soups. I had tons of kanji and I would have someone start me a new kanji in the crock pot like once a week. I'd say, hey, can you go start me another one? Um, and the warm milks and um, I really love dates with butter and salt. And that was a really easy one that someone could prep a bunch for me for and then I could keep them in my fridge kind of a thing. Um, so it was just figuring out what I can prep ahead of time if it was a freezer meal or I could prep the prep the veggies ahead of time marinate the meat and have that all in a baggie in the freezer and then heard some people instead of doing baby showers or maybe in addition to having like freezer uh -huh. meal party uh -huh. yeah. I think those are so genius because then you just freeze it flat in the bag and then someone can pop it in the crock pot or they can pop it in the oven it's super fast um because there's also a thing of some people believe that you shouldn't be freezing made meals and then defrosting them. Um, but I totally get that not everyone has the time or the help or the availability to go make a brand new meal every day. Um, so that's why it's helpful if you are freezing everything raw and then you can crock pot it or instant pot it, which is super helpful. Instant pots are amazing for postpartum, you guys. <laughs> amazing. Um, but if you need to hit the easy button of, you know, okay, I'm making spaghetti tonight and I'm going to double it and then I'm going to freeze that second batch. That way postpartum someone can defrost it. Totally hit that easy button because food is better than no food <laughs> when you're under this stress that your body is going through. So hit the easy button if you have to. And what about, um, um, you were talking about those ice packs that you crack, what uh -huh. would be the alternative for that? So when you're thinking about healing a wound, um, particularly something like a, like a birth tear that you're just kind of open and exposed and it's raw and there's a lot of things that just happen down there. It's not just like, oh, I, you know, I cut myself with a knife, totally different. Um, so in that case, you can use the ice if you really, really need like, oh, it just hurts so bad to sit. It hurts to walk. You really need that initial numbing. Okay, go for the ice. But all that's going to do is numb. That is not going to heal you. Because what ice does, what, what cold does is it constricts our blood vessels. It closes them up. It slows down our blood flow. When we need that blood flow, our blood is rejuvenating and cleansing, especially the postpartum clearing out, releasing blood. So we don't want to halt the blood flow to there. And that's what the ice does. So instead, what I love to suggest is um, you can buy your, you know, two or three herbs or online you can find like a sitz bath pre-mixed blend of herbs. Yeah. Um, and you just steep those, like say like in a, you know, a two quart spaghetti, um, pot on the stove and you can store it in your fridge for a couple days. And then what you do is you take your peri bottle and you fill half of your peri bottle with the cold pre-brewed tea. And then the last half of your peri bottle can be 
hot tap water so that it kind of balances out to be a nice lukewarm or a little bit warmer. You want it to feel really good. So every time you go to the bathroom, you're going to do a rinse with the peri, with the, the peri rinse. The herbs are going to help cleanse. They're going to help keep you clean. They're going to help heal. Um, and it feels super soothing to have the warmth. Okay. But that's for like a 30 second stint every time you use the bathroom. But in the middle, what I really love to do is you take that same tea and you keep that warm where you can warm some up and you dip a clean washcloth or some gauze pads. You dip it in there, pull it out, wring it out. You don't want it dripping, but you still want it wet. And then you'll keep it warm, kind of steamy and put it on your birth tear. Putting it there with the steam, with the super helpful plant medicine that's coming from the tea, it's going to heal you. It's going to heal you beautifully. So you just sit there for like 10 minutes, three times a day for 10 minutes each with this herbal uh, washcloth compress kind of a thing is what you're going for. And it feels amazing. So good. I've had women who only knew the ice packs in their first pregnancy and they had episiotomies and they had tears and they had stitches and they were just super uncomfortable. But they would go to the ice because they liked the numbing. But then after a while, it's like, okay, the numbing only does so good. Now it's just up to my body to heal. But then they went on to have a home birth with their second and maybe they still tore, maybe they still had stitches. But then they wouldn't use the ice and they would only use warmth and they would say night and day difference of how soothing and how fast they healed and and it just feels so good. Let me tell you, the warmth in postpartum makes your soul sing. I'll, um, I give my private members after they birth, I give them like a red raspberry leaf tea with salt and honey. And that's super loving and warm. And and most of it is just to love. Just It's just loving and it feels really good. But another one I'll do is I'll leave them with a carafe, just like a, like a hot water kind of a kettle. Um, and that's got pre-brewed tea in it. So then throughout the first night, as they're waking up and figuring out nursing and you kind of feel alone and you're just feeling super overwhelmed, you have some tea next to you, some pre-warm, pre-ready tea and it's sweetened and it feels so good. Even in the summertime, that warmth is going to feel really good to your soul, to your bottom when you use it on your bottom, when you use it in a bath, when you do a sits bath, when you do a yoni steam. Warmth is the key to postpartum healing. And all, any way you can get warmth, that's the key. You've got cultures who, um, like I was saying, do the demescal where they do the steam, um, like the saunaing, that's more warmth. That's another thing you can do. Um, so it's just, it's the warmth. That's the key. Yeah, that's what we tell our clients is if you have like a lot of swelling or you're in a lot of pain, Okay, mm-hmm. do the ice, but like mm-hmm. it's not it's not gonna be helpful after twenty four hours, you know, like right. yeah. switch to heat, you know, or mm-hmm. go straight for the warmth, um, for bringing blood flow and healing. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I um I have four pillars, like four pillars of postpartum healing that I tell all my members, women who ask, anyone, anyone you ask, <laughs> anyone who asks, this is what I'm gonna tell you. Um, it starts with who you um, pick to care for you. So your hospital birth, your healing is going to look different than your home birth. Your cesarean surgical birth is going to look different than your hospital birth. Your unassisted birth, 
healing is and and that's not even the gold standard i'm not saying that's the gold standard none of these are the gold standard but everyone's healing is going to look different whether you're in the hospital for 48 hours or you're immediately in your bed or you're at a birthing center and you go home six hours later all of these things will affect your postpartum whether you had pitocin if you were induced um if you had your golden hour, if you your baby was in the NICU, all of these things will, ha- will come into play. So it really starts with picking who's going to care for you. And then it goes, um, I like to go to prepare your pantry. I have four Ps. So prepare your pantry. Um, and that looks like have all the necess- necessary things. Have the warming spices. Have the fats of ghee and butter and tallow. Have all those ready and on hand. Um, and get yourself familiar with, oh, you know what? I think a, you know, like a good slab of butter would taste good on that. And even if you don't think you're going to taste it, put it on there anyway, because it's going to be really good for you. (laughs) We don't have enough, we don't have enough quality fat in our diet, I think. Um, and having mineral rich food, which can look like, I love to get my minerals from herbal infusion. So like doing a nettles infusion or a Nora infusion, um, and an infusion is a lot of herbal, a lot of herbs over a long period of time. Whereas if you've got a tea, that's a little bit of herb for a short period of time. And for those um, who don't know, Nora stands for nettles, oat straw, raspberry. Uh, alfalfa. I was like, what's the last Yeah. One? Yeah. <laughs> so that's also a blend of different herbs that you can, a lot of women will pre-make those, like some different birth workers will pre-make those and you can buy them or you can make it yourself. It's just a one-to-one ratio. Um, and that one's really yummy, but that's a super easy way to replenish your minerals, minerals from, um, uh, like beef organs is super helpful. You can do those incorporating those into your diet or doing them in capsules, um, or getting them from plants like infusions or tinctures or that kind of a thing. So then what do I go to next? Oh, then I do actually go to plants for healing. Um, and that looks like how to um, learn how to prepare these herbs, which ones will be super healing for your body, whether that's you're doing nutritional support, which will support your mood and your your, your mental status postpartum or your milk supply or healing the birth tears. Learn how to use those and which ones fit your lifestyle really well Mm -hmm. and learn... um, how to do a yoni steam, how to set yourself up for a super easy herbal bath so that way you can use those things. Don't learn about them when you've got a crying baby and you're bleeding and your, your breasts are leaking and you're just trying to find some kind of relief. Learn about it first. That way you can have things prepped and you have the idea of what you want to do. Um, and then what do I go to next? And then I talk about um, physiology and intuition. So Another big thing about postpartum is don't just rely on texting your pediatrician. Don't rely on your well checks. Don't rely on your, okay, well, now I just have my baby and the next time I can get answers is in six weeks or I'm going to post to Facebook, you know, mom groups and get my, my suggestions there. No, there's so much you can do to hone and strengthen your intuition bone. And that looks like education. Just getting knowledge. Knowledge is power. And I mean, that starts in your pregnancy when you have to figure out, okay, well, 
I know I'm pregnant, but we can't do a heartbeat or um, we're too early for an ultrasound. And those kind of moments, like those really try your heart trying to, okay, I really got to, you know, tap into myself to find reassurance and comfort when I don't have these external resources to rely on. So you can hone those in pregnancy, but you're really going to need them postpartum. You're really going to have to figure out, okay, I am the person that will know my baby best. I know my body best and I know my baby best. So, you know, she's sleeping for four hours. Is that because she's lethargic and her body's working too hard and maybe she's, you know, got this jaundice and things are kind of adding up and I should go get a second opinion or I should find more puzzle pieces to this? Or did she just have a really hard birth and... We nursed for a good while before she fell asleep and she got all that thick, fatty breast milk before she fell asleep. And this is totally normal for her. Does she take a four-hour nap in the middle of the day sometimes? So it's it's just figure out what is physiologically normal. Jaundice is normal. If your baby doesn't have a liver issue, if you don't have a liver issue, some kind of blood you know, incompatibility, if you didn't do certain jabs when they were born then this jaundice is normal. They have to work through that. And so finding out what are the signs of that being normal and how does that line up with my baby? (laughs) What is that telling me? And that leads you to make your next decisions. And there's so much power in knowing your baby's normal and being able to say, no, she's okay. I'm trusting her and she's not asking for help and everything's, you know, all the boxes are being checked. So Having that peace of mind and honing the skill that you will need for the rest of your, you know, your baby raising season is huge. You need that. Yeah. It can be hard too when there's like underlying anxiety that Mm -hmm. some women carry to differentiate between like your anxiety and your intuition, you know, the way I, it's come across for me is my intuition is usually very like to the point, not a lot of dialogue around it, not a lot of story. It's just like matter of fact, whereas like fear, anxieties or worries have a lot of like storytelling and dialogue Mm -hmm. of like what I've heard. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's usually just like other people's stuff, not my own. Right. So what are you holding? Who told you that? And what trauma did they have in their past Mm -hmm. that they could be reflecting on to you? So Sure, mom groups are great on Facebook, but they've all got their own stories, their own lifestyles, their own diets that they're following. No one's story is going to be exactly the same. There is no black and white in birth, in pregnancy, in raising your babies. Um, And I think, too, like learning how to receive and hear the stories and then mm -hmm. to yourself about what's true because sometimes you don't know that something's even an option until it's you know brought to you and you're like whoa I didn't even consider that you know that feels true for me or not um but you know so being able to like hear what others other wise women are saying um and then being able to fine-tune what is true for you and your baby yeah, so having that collection, that community of wise women around you, and then you have to be around you. It could be your mother-in-law who you really admire, but she lives states away, right? So it's just find that community, whatever that looks like for you, and and really cling to them because this is the time to cling to your community. Definitely. 
Uh, well, this was such a beautiful conversation and um, so necessary. I think our listeners are really going to enjoy it, whether they're getting ready for their postpartum or getting ready for their midwifery journey. There is a lot to this conversation. So thank you for joining. Do you have any resources that you'd like to, you know, if people want to reach out to you or any services you offer, maybe the area you live in too, we can add it all to the show notes. Yeah, I um so I offer virtual care and you can find my virtual care through my website, birthcultivated.com, or you can find me on Instagram, birthcultivated also. Um that's me everywhere. So either Alicia Meyer, which is super rare, but mostly it's birth cultivated everywhere. So the virtual one-on-one care. Um, and I have a postpartum freebie that I created because like I said, I couldn't find a ton out there on what to prep and what to have on hand. And what I did find, it was like 11 websites away and everything. I just had to hone into myself and into my own postpartum and really like, okay, well, let's tailor that to postpartum. Um, so what I did was I created a free cheat sheet on what to prep, what to have on hand. Um, here's like the five pillars of postpartum and, um, and that's free to you. So you can find that on my Instagram or message me, like email me through my website. And I can send that to you. Um, but postpartum is a huge passion of mine. So there will be more. And I'm working on a postpartum protocol to as a, another offering. And that's just like really step by step breaking it down for you. That'll be like an 80 page protocol. But that's coming soon. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you again. It was so great chatting with you. You too. We'll talk later, Sophia. Bye. Bye. Okay, everyone, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Born Wild podcast. If you enjoy our podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe every week to get the latest one. And please follow us on Instagram at Born Wild Podcast, as well as Facebook. You can also write to us at info at bornwildmidwifery.com, as well as our website, bornwildmidwifery.com. And remember, stay wild.